Welcome to the Nixon Now podcast for the Richard Nixon Foundation. I'm your host, Jonathan Mavroidis. Today we honor the civil rights legacy of leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose shadow on American life is unrivaled in the 20th century. To discuss this subject with us today is Nixon biographer Irv Gelman. Dr. Gelman is a prodigious researcher and prolific writer of several books, including two about Richard Nixon, The Contender, which chronicles the future president's years in Congress, and his latest book, The President and the Apprentice, about RN's years as vice president. This new book is especially revealing on what Eisenhower and Nixon did on the civil rights front. Irv, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. When we think about civil rights, why is it we always think about Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson and JFK and Harry Truman and not the sons and daughters of the party of Lincoln? Generally, Jonathan, it is the the nature of what uh, journalists and academics want to write about, and they don't want to write about right-of-center contributions. They want to write about uh, democratic uh, uh, contributions. And what they have done by doing that is uh, uh, exaggerating the role of people like Harry Truman and FDR and not getting the full impact of the story over time. Did Eisenhower and Nixon's early life and background suggest a sympathy towards African Americans and a passion for civil rights? Absolutely. Uh, Nixon grew up as a a Quaker, went to uh, Whittier College, uh, championed uh, several uh, African Americans into a social uh, fraternity called the Orthogonians, and as such, uh, went through the entire elections in California, which even at that time had a specter of diversity. As far as Dwight Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, from August of 1942 until uh, uh, he died in 1969, uh, right-hand uh, man was uh, uh, Sergeant John Money and his wife Dolores, who worked for and were part of the Eisenhower family uh, during Ike and Mamie's years and afterwards. So the idea of these people being antiseptic or anti-black is is just purely untrue. And Nixon had experience at Duke Law School as well, living in the South, so he was aware of the sensitivities um, of that of that region of, of, the, of the United States. Well, Jonathan, it was a whole different world. Uh, The South of the 1930s, if you were black, sometimes you probably would not walk on the same side of the street as whites. Uh, The segregation in the South uh, was absolute. And uh, as you well know, uh, Woodrow Wilson made Washington, D.C. one of the most segregated cities in the United States. And... That was one of the first initiatives that that uh, Dwight Eisenhower, upon coming to the White House, the first one of the things that was top top of mind was integrating uh, the District of Columbia. Well, not only was one of his his first acts, he let everybody know it during the campaign that he intended to end segregation in Washington D.C. 
And as they say now, with the stroke of the pen, maybe not a cell phone, but with the stroke of a pen, he changed the whole nature of Washington, D.C., and did uh, uh, separate water fountains, separate uh, uh, bathrooms, and encouraged, with a heavy hand, uh, private business in Washington, D.C. to integrate restaurants, movie theaters, etc. What was the overall civil rights policy of the Eisenhower administration? Uh, what, what did they seek to accomplish, and what was the general approach, um, and how did it differ from the, the previous administration? It, it was very sophisticated. Eisenhower did not believe in miscegenation. Uh, the first poll that was done was done in 1958, and 94% of the samples said they opposed interracial dating, marriage, etc. But Eisenhower's main position was that if you were contributing to the federal coffers through taxes and you were an American citizen, that you had the right equally to all facilities. And he looked upon this as a, a major uh, issue that he was going to take. So while uh, uh, Truman made the motions of desegregating the armed forces, the man that completed the segregation of the armed forces was uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, the man that talked about legislation increasing civil rights was Harry Truman, but the man that got two Civil Rights Acts passed in 1957 and 1960 was Dwight Eisenhower. Nixon was a little different. Eisenhower used Nixon in civil rights as the principal spokesman in the United States. And Nixon's position was, not only was it legally correct, but it was also morally correct that Nixon took the position that all people deserve the same rights as any other people, be it social and or uh, be it according to the federal government. The Afri African American reporter along those same lines, Simeon Booker, called Nixon the workhorse of the administration civil rights program. How, how effective was Nixon in his role? Nixon, as I said, was the chief spokesman in America during the 1950s for civil rights. And Simeon Booker got it right. The interesting thing is that when, when he wrote, uh, Simeon Booker wrote his memoirs in the 1960s, uh, he did not give Nixon the same credit. But, but while Simeon Booker and other African-American uh, uh, journalists were writing in the 1950s, they were praising uh, Nixon regularly, both in Jet Magazine, which was a the largest uh, black magazine, and also in Ebony, uh, which was the major uh, black, uh, uh, for want of a better word, intellectual magazine of the times. In addition to being a spokesperson, Eisenhower also appointed Nixon to chair of the Presidential Committee on Government Contracts. Um, and this is a really pivotal um, position on the issue of civil rights and economic rights, for that matter. Could you, could you explain that a little bit? Well, the, the president made Nixon, in August of 1953, the chair of the President's Committee on Government Contracts. What it was basically was a committee to make sure that minorities, and especially African-Americans, got more of a piece of the pie. 
and Eisenhower brilliantly appointed Nixon to demonstrate how important this committee was going to be. And what Nixon did was have a very powerful, mainly Republican leadership in that to lobby for more jobs for African Americans and to point out the need to get greater positions towards integration. And Nixon was not only very successful in that role, but received kudos from uh, organizations like the NAACP that really weren't interested all that much in supporting Republicans. On page 142 of The President and the Apprentice, you write that Eisenhower and Nixon, despite being advocates for civil rights, they never comprehended how blacks resented a call for patience on civil rights and that their rights would be fulfilled through a gradual process and with caution. Given the nature of the times, was this, an un was this not an understandable position or should they have been more aggressive? It was an understandable position and at the same time they should have been more aggressive. The problem is, is, is really simple that uh, Eisenhower and Nixon were white people and had no real clue the, the frustration and the anger that was bubbling up from years and years and years of, of not only the, the fact of segregation, but how it impacted uh, themselves, their kids, their grandkids, and all the, the rest of uh, the African community that was coming their way. It was, as Martin Luther King uh, Jr. said, far beyond the time that they should be waiting to be, have equal access. In 1954, the Supreme Court handed, handed down the monumental decision Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, for our audience who doesn't know, could you explain the background of this case and the significance of the decision in 1954? Well, the, the background was with several states and the, all of these cases were combined where uh, uh, blacks wanted to go to integrated schools because they argued that the segregated African-American schools were not nearly as good and well-funded as the white schools were. And the, the Brown case had been uh, postponed under uh, Truman. His chief justice, Fred Vincent, died, and Eisenhower appointed Earl Warren as chief justice. And Warren lobbied his other colleagues, the other eight members, and made sure that when the decision of Brown came down, that it would be a unanimous decision. And what happened was that in 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson from the Supreme Court said that separate but equal was equal as long as you had equal facilities. When the Brown decision came down, uh, Warren, the Warren Court said that separate but equal was fundamentally wrong and you did not have equal treatment ergo you had to integrate the problem with the brown decision was there was no time limit set did eisenhower and nixon agree with the decision um eisenhower never came out publicly and agreed but privately he agreed with the decision 
Again, the problem that Eisenhower had with the decision was that it was too sharp a delineation at the time. He wanted more more time to uh, do, if you will, social engineering. But Eisenhower had no problem with the the position of uh, uh, Brown. Uh, Nixon, in his case, uh, absolutely had no problem with Brown, as did the deputy attorney general and Nixon's uh, close friend, William Bill Rogers. Again, the, the, the problem with the Eisenhower position was he was ambivalent, if not mixed, towards how do you enforce Brown? And how, and how did they? How did they ultimately enforce Brown? Well, ultimately, as, as uh, the headlines in the newspaper came from Little Rock, uh, when Governor Orville Faubus refused uh, to allow the integration of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, Eisenhower uh, made it very simple. He sent in armed troops. Southerners looked upon him as a, uh, a reincarnation of Adolf Hitler, but most of the, the, the nation viewed this as the right thing to do. And Eisenhower, who was not going to make this a social decision of the right and wrong of integration, made it a, a decision of enforcing a court order. The fact is, is while many people harp on the fact that Eisenhower uh, made it uh, a position towards a court order, he was really doing the Lord's work by forcing the integration of Little Rock. A character who becomes prominent in the Eisenhower administration civil rights, rights charge is the Reverend Billy Graham. Uh, how did the administration deploy him as a voice for change in the South? Uh, again, that's a, a, a very complicated issue. It wasn't so much that the, the administration was deploying him by itself. It was that Billy Graham was taking the position, even before Brown, that there was to be no more segregated uh, uh, crusades, religious crusades that he did. He demanded that they all be integrated. When he talked to Eisenhower and he talked to Nixon, uh, he was used by both of these people, and he used both of these people to promote integration. Uh, Eisenhower uh, talked to him quietly, and uh, uh, Graham uh, presented what he said publicly, which bothered Eisenhower. But in Nixon's case, uh, Graham invited uh, Nixon to North Carolina to speak uh, to large groups of, of evangelicals about the need uh, to act moderately and to uh, integrate successfully. So is civil rights a major issue in the 1956 campaign against Adlai Stevenson? The, the idea of civil rights was growing as an issue. Uh, Adlai Stevenson was not really uh, a part of a major move towards civil rights while Northern Democrats were. He had a, a problem because uh, Southern Democrats were not. Again, but from the standpoint of uh, uh, Nixon, more so than Eisenhower, uh, Nixon's first speech in September starting off the 56 campaign 
Despite these efforts, why didn't African Americans come out to vote for Eisenhower in large numbers? Well, in 1956, they came out in larger numbers proportionally, but not larger numbers in absolute. The issue of African Americans after the, the rise of Franklin Roosevelt became a, a issue of principle. Uh, Democrats favored large government and therefore programs that benefited uh, African Americans financially. And to this day, African Americans support a larger intervention of the federal government while Republicans favor more, uh, less, less uh, government interference and uh, less uh, smaller government, which is antithetical to what uh, the large portion of African Americans want. After Eisenhower and Nixon are re-elected, top of Eisenhower's agenda was the 1957 Civil Rights Bill, which he delegates to Nixon to spearhead through the Congress. What did the administration seek to accomplish with this Civil Rights Bill? Well, again, the, the, the 1950 Civil Rights uh, Bill and subsequently what were passed have been reported uh, uh, badly, I mean incorrectly, the, the major issues in uh, the Civil Rights Act, parts one and part two, was one, to create a special division within the Justice Department for civil rights, and two, to create a civil rights commission that would uh, promote integration and talk and write about where integration was not occurring. Parts three and part four uh, dealt with greater uh, uh, access to voting that blacks had, and those two provisions were uh, either uh, uh, one, part three was deleted, and part four was uh, uh, eviscerated by uh, forcing uh, jury trials. Now, the point that is, is made is that this was the first Civil Rights Act passed since Reconstruction, 82 years. The thing that is underestimated is the importance of the Civil Rights Division and the importance of the Civil Rights Commission. And somehow, uh, authors ignore, dismiss the importance of both of those for the upcoming uh, Kennedy and Johnson's administration. Because without the passage of Parts 1 and Part 2, uh, the subsequent Democratic administrations in the 1960s would not have been nearly as effective as they were. Because, example, the Civil Rights Division had people that were committed to uh, passing civil rights legislation and enforcing civil rights laws. 
You mentioned some of its leading provisions, part three and part four, that allowed the federal government to prosecute voting and constitutional right, rights violations met opposition in Congress. Even Senate Majority Leader Lyndon Johnson opposed it. Why, why did he do that? Well, Lyndon Johnson wanted desperately to become president uh, 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 after the defeat of Adlai Stevenson. He felt that he had to have some civil rights legislation. But at the same time, while Johnson needed civil rights legislation, he needed to keep the block of Southern delegates in his corner, because without that uh, four or 500 uh, member block, he did not see a way for him to win. So he, he uh, eviscerated uh, the section that he thought that the Southerners uh, would be against, and at the same time, he made uh, uh, possible the promotion of parts one and part two. Ironically, without understanding the importance of parts one and part two. This interview wouldn't be complete without touching upon the relationship between Vice President Nixon and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, how did the first meet? How did, the, how did they first meet, and uh, how did their relationship uh, evolve over the years? with Nixon biographer Earl Mazo, King said that Nixon matured on the issue of civil rights. What did he mean by that? I believe that, that because of the amount of times that King saw uh, Nixon, he was impressed with how active uh, Nixon was in civil rights. And so were other civil rights leaders, by the way, were impressed with how active Nixon was in civil rights. Was King supportive of Richard Nixon's bid for the presidency in 1960? Uh, yes and no. Uh, King felt that as as at that time, King was not the ultimate icon he becomes. King was not 
Reagan in uh, desegregations and uh, Nixon's public comments as well as Eisenhower's public uh, comments. The problem was, uh, in so many cases, advocates, especially people with 2020 hindsight, don't want to give credit where credit is due. And there was a certain amount of warm feeling between uh, Nixon and, and King, and Nixon tried to cultivate King, and King tried to cultivate Nixon. The interesting thing is, is that King moves uh, uh, from uh, where he uh, was to Georgia and did not vote in the 1960 election. And there was new civil rights legislation in 1960. What did the, what did the Civil Rights Act of 1960 accomplish? Basically very little. It, it uh, authorized referees uh, to help in voting cases in the South, but really because of the nature of uh, the court system, which was basically all white, uh, it took time uh, to uh, be actually get some teeth. What is very, very seldom uh, talked about is how the Eisenhower administration, and specifically Eisenhower, made certain that his federal judges, both at the federal district court level and the appeals court level, were very much pro-Brown decision and implementing that act. But because courts sometimes act slowly, this took a number of years. Yeah, despite Brown, um, we still see uh, deseg- we still see segregated schools throughout the 1960s under under the uh, administrations of John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. Why was it so? Why was the progress to integrate schools so slow over that decade? Again, the the, the nature of integration and the resistance in the South and other places where uh, people opposed. Uh, uh, integration, uh, the, 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 the nature of how you integrate schools was met, depending on where you were, with hostility, with uh, beatings, with all kinds of negativity. And it took, you know, decades upon decades upon decades uh, to integrate. And the remarkable thing that Nixon is not given credit for when he becomes president is uh, the enormous amount of integration in public schools that occurs under the Nixon presidency. I was just going to get to that. What did Nixon, what did President Nixon learn from his years as the apprentice to President Eisenhower on the issue of civil rights? He learned that what he did was he brought people like George Shultz in his administration to deal with many different uh, uh, political uh, uh, entities, whether they be southern states or northern states or wherever they were, to get some kind of meetings of the minds of different people that were in, 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 in different political uh, jurisdictions to come to the belief whether they liked it or not, that integration was here to stay, and they were going to have to accept it. And what what occurred was exactly that, that people became more and more committed to integration and, and became less and less uh, interested in being recalcitrant. 
And today, you look at uh, various protests where South Carolina has lowered the Confederate flag and a, a number of other things, which are still relics of a bygone era. Thank you very much Irv, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for joining us. For news information about the legacy of America's 37th president, please visit us at nixonfoundation.org. For the Richard Nixon Foundation, I'm Jonathan Mavroida signing off. Nixon now. Nixon now.